all, good morning. One of the first times ever where I didn't get an attention getter, we like to have a, an attention getter before we jump in just to make sure you're with us. It's our opportunity to lie and to tease, and I'm just kidding, calm down. <laughs> I would just like to get your attention, and this morning, I, uh, you know, I didn't have it for this whole time, and I was, I was wondering about that, because typically God's really good to me, um, and so, but this is what I, I here's, here's where I want to start today, because I do know that God wants to get our attention. Today is, am I right, is today Super Bowl Sunday? Okay, because nobody really said anything, so I'm obviously not in the know. However, I do know this. Um, today's game will be marked, not because of what's happening in the game, but what's going to happen between in the ads. Um, a, a movement called He Gets Us is going to be running a, a Christian ad. It has never been done before. It's something like 130 some odd million dollars to, to run this ad. And I just want to warn you, religious people are going to get offended by that. But I think that it's probably worth investing into. And here's why. Uh, I have had, I, and I have to confess, I have to repent I have had a very negative, in the back of my mind, um, construct of, of this church. I love church. But there, I was misinformed. My understanding was that in these days, and especially post-COVID, that people aren't coming to church anymore. And certainly people aren't getting saved in church. It's happening in the marketplace, which it is. However... The numbers contradict what I thought. And uh, let me just give you those. Um, the Barna Group um, did a study at the end of October 2022, and they announced that we are, as a nation, at an all-time high for spiritually hungry people. Out of the 2,000 adults surveyed, 74% of them said that they wanted to grow spiritually. Do you, do you understand that? That's three out of four. 77% believe in God or a higher power. 44% are more open to God than they ever were prior to the pandemic. By the way, the average age for salvation around the world remains 12 years old. So if you don't think that that matters back there, you're misinformed too. What does this have to do with anything? Well, the other day I, I, was, I, was, I was studying and I was, I just, you know, I like to practice hearing God and I felt like he interrupted my thoughts, and he asked me this question. He said, um, <clears throat> I wrote it down. He said, um, what, what would you do if a year from now, Connect doubled in size because of unbelievers coming in, getting saved, 
and now wanting to grow, what would you do? Could you handle that? And then I, be I began listening because it kind of arrested me because I know that we're not where we need to be. But we're heading there. And it begins with the understanding that spiritually hungry people will go to church. They'll stay at a church that equips them to grow. Guess what, folks? You and me, we're the church. And God is calling us into an expectation for a revival the like of which, and there, this, is, this isn't me talking, this is, this is what uh, uh, leaders are saying, Christian leaders are saying, is that we've never seen, that we have never seen this amount of spiritual hunger in our nation since the last revival, which was the Jesus People Movement. People want to know Jesus. That's why it behooves us to know him for ourselves. And then the second step of that is to invite people into a place where they can grow in their relationship with him. We want to be a house that provides that. And what does that have to do with anything? Well, it actually has everything today to, to do with this message series that we're in. You all are a little quiet. Just like do something, let me know you're alive. Listen, this is sobering, but it's also the most exciting thing I've ever heard in my ministry career. People want Jesus. And aren't you glad you have him? I'm really glad. I'm really glad I've got him. And so here we are in this series. And, and by the way, the scripture that came to my mind this morning is that, uh, I, I'm going to read it out of the Passion, and it says this in chapter Matthew chapter 5, your lives light up the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? Listen, you are saved to be a light. A light to the city first, and then maybe, who knows, maybe all of across the world. It says, and who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. Some of you are lit up and nobody knows it because you've got it covered. And listen, people in this house need to know you've got the light. You're carrying it for their sake, not just for yours. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. It all points back to Jesus, right? That's why I'm, uh, we've been challenging you in this series about the gates. It's been, we call it the Gate Check series. If you haven't been with us and you've missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and start again and, and listen to it from the top. Why? Because there's some work that we all need to do in our lives so that we can fully shine the way we're called to. All right? And if you've been with us, I'm just going to catch you up a little bit. We've been talking about the book of Nehemiah, which discusses the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. It had been destroyed for over 140 years. And a guy named Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king in Babylon, he, he gets a word, basically he feels in his heart that he needs to go and make sure that the, the walls get rebuilt, that the gates get rebuilt. And so he, he travels over to Jerusalem. He gets permission 
foundation and he begins rebuilding and, and what couldn't be accomplished in 140 years, he with the people living there, uh, they get it done in 52 days. And what is, what? Yes, yes 52 days. I want to make sure because, yeah, no, that's good. I like that. And here's the, here's the reality. You and I, we're cities. We, we all, we are cities, right? And we have walls. We talked about repairing those walls first. And the next thing that has to happen is the gates in those walls have to be repaired. Because a walled city without gates is a dead city. It will die. It will starve to death, right? If you don't have certain critical gates opened and closed, depending on what they are, you're going to die. And so God is calling you now to get your gates in order. And we've moved along. We've, we've been taking a perimeter check, and we've, we've covered the sheep gate. We've covered the fish gate. We've covered the old gate. Last week, we covered the valley gate. Today, we are at the dung gate. And I want to tell you a little bit about this. If you, um, yes, yes, there he is. Peek. Thank you, Russ. <laughs> you turn in your Bible to Nehemiah 3.14. This is where this gate is mentioned. And I'm reading out of the NASB. Um, and it says, Melchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hekarim, repaired the refuse gate, or dung gate. Some of your versions will say dung gate, some say refuse. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Now, you need to know that historically, the, the dung gate was a really important gate. I'm sure you're already understanding some of its function, but let me, let me see if I can't surprise you a little bit. It was in very close proximity to last week's gate, the valley gate. In fact, I read somewhere that it was about 500 yards away from the valley gate. Um, and here's why that's a little interesting. Here's some little known facts. Both the valley gate and the dung gate uh, led to a valley called the Valley of Hinnom. In the vernacular there, and you can see it wrapping around right there. See it? It goes around. In the vernacular, it was referred to as the pit of flame, that valley. The pit of flame. Do you want to know why? Good, I'll tell you. This valley, thank you, don't mind if I do. This valley was associated with a, a particularly heinous idol called Molech. Now, Molech came about, they don't really know exactly when he arrived, this, this thing. Uh, likely the Canaanite people were already worshiping him. Um, but this particular god required child sacrifices, Regularly, and in this value, this in this valley, this is unfortunate. When Solomon, King Solomon, uh, who was one of the greatest kings, he built the first temple of God. Then, at the end of his reign, he kind of went a little sideways, if you know what I mean. And he allowed the influence of the cultures around to influence his belief, and he he really messed up. One of the huge ways in which he messed up was he built a statue, an idol to the god of Molech. And that god existed in the, the, the idol in the valley of Hinnom. And this god was made of brass, it was taller than a man, and um, infants were sacrificed in his outstretched hands. 
And so really, really ugly, right? And long comes Josiah many, many, many years later in 2 Kings 23, if you want to check me. He came along and he was devoted to God. And one of the first things that he did is he tore down all of the idols that had been erected in other kings' names, in other kings' reigns. And Molech was one of them. And they tore down that brass idol and they destroyed it. And then what they did, which in Israeli culture is huge, they, they turned that valley that wrapped around the, the southern portion of Jerusalem into a dump site. Like, they, they literally turned that thing into garbage. Okay? Now, I'm trying to make a correlation here between the funk of the old and the freedom of the new. Because God had said, you don't, you don't serve any God but me. And somewhere along the way, they got screwed up, and then it was that, that God was abolished. And not abolished, he was annihilated. And so for generations, that's where the dump was. All right. Now we're gonna shift gears just a little bit because I, I need for you to know the definition of the dung gate um, is closer to refuse gate. Okay, okay, it actually does mean dung. Um, that's one of the definitions. If you are a culture that depends on transportation by animal, there's gonna be some poop pickup necessary. And that was critical, you know, that had to make its way out of the city. But here's what I want to focus on today. That word means refuse, but it also means ash heap. So it means two things. So I'm going to change its, its name. It's not going to be reflected up here entirely. But I'm going to change its name to the trash gate, T-R hyphen A-S-H, trash. Because we're going to talk about trash and ash. Okay, you with me? That was a long introduction. Did you know, because the first function of this gate is that it was required for the removal of trash from the city. Did you know that the U.S. produces 268 million tons of waste every year? That's a lot of trash. 140 million is going into landfills, um, each year, and guess how many pounds the average American throws away every day? 4.5. You and I pitch 4.5 pounds of trash into the garbage bin. That's on average. I'm sure some are better than others. But here's the deal. Um, this is really critical. Taking out the trash is critical to the function of a city. Most people prefer to live in clean places, right? If you're going to take a trip <coughs> to a foreign country, you're not going to go to one that doesn't take out the trash. You might go there, but you'll probably leave quickly. And it's no different than, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. Listen, your city also has a gate that is to be used to take out the trash. The function of the, of the trash gate benefits the city, and your city is your heart. Now, I need to define this 
because I'm talking about the Hebraic biblical understanding of heart. I'm not talking about the Valentine's Day thing like this, right? Not the seed of emotions. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about the most central part of a person's being. It's that part of you that governs your whole life. It governs how you think. It governs how you feel. That is the core of who you are. And, and the biblical Hebraic understanding is that the most central part of a person's being is your heart. Now, let me just, let me just take a second here. Here's what I don't want, Holy Spirit. I don't want to overtalk. I don't want to get in your way. I know this matters. I know it's important. And I know, I know that if anything good comes out of today, it's because you're the one who inspired it. Don't let me screw it up. I bind up any um, opposition or impediment to the word, any distraction, any offense in Jesus' name. And we make way for you, Holy Spirit, to speak. Would you open eyes and open ears, starting with me? I just want to do what I'm told to do. I don't want to screw it up. Would you make this come alive right now? He's so good. First Peter 1, 14 and 16 says this, as God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires you followed when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For the scripture says, you are to be holy because I am to be holy. When you invited Christ into your lives, and into your city, your heart. He did this mighty, miraculous work of cleaning out all the trash. It's amazing. But every day, every day, we, we have the opportunity to drag some more garbage into our city. And I heard this story about a guy named Hank. Um, he's from UK, and he was talking about how Hank has this, he got converted, and he just had this amazing Jesus um, moment, and he gave his life, and he was so excited about it, and he was so connected with his coworkers, and he, he, he's, he was driving to work, um, a couple days later, he's like, oh, oh God, I just wanna share you with my coworkers. <gasps> oh, what can I say? Except for I don't want them to think I'm just you know, a Bible thumper. I don't want them to think I'm so pious, like I got it all together, like how do I avoid that? And he, he heard, it's not that he heard the audible voice maybe, but he heard in his heart this, this, this thought, this unction that said to him, Hank, um, you know, talk is cheap, Here's what I want you to do. I, I kind of, I want you to take out the trash. You know what the trash is for you? The trash for you is smoking. Smoking and cursing. Now, um, I heard years, years back a pastor of, of mine said that, um, listen, smoking isn't a sin. You're just still gonna get to heaven. You'll just smell like hell when you get there. <laughs> so I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. What I am saying is that for Hank, this is what God told him to do. 
So he didn't say anything to anybody about his conversion. He started working on these things from that day, from the time he hit the workplace, he, he put down the cigarettes and he cleaned up his language. And he, uh, he went along for a few weeks and by the time the, the two weeks or so were up, one of his coworkers said, hey, what's going on with you? You're not smoking, you're not taking breaks, you're, you're, you know, and you're not, you're not cussing like you used to. What, what's going on? It opened the door for Hank to be able to share what Jesus had done in his life, all because he took out the trash. Yeah. What, what could God be telling you to get rid of? When I go into my office, it doesn't have a lot of trash, it just has a lot of stuff. Sometimes you got too much stuff and it's becoming trash because you can't move freely, if you know what I mean. It's time to take out the trash. And this is one of those gates that opens and closes regularly. It should. We should be making use of this trash gate because every day we create it and every day we got to get rid of it. If your gate is not functioning, you're going to be funky fast. Here's another aspect of it. Romans 6.1 says, I, I, this, is where, this is where Paul is talking about how you change when, when Christ comes into your life. And he sums it up in, in verses 12 and 14, and he says, sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it opportunity to rule your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to, to obey its desires and cravings. So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call, take out the trash, to keep yielding your body to him who, who as, as one who has now experienced resurrection life, you live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Remember this. Listen, your city has been cleaned. Remember this. Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but you're governed by the reign of grace in God. And listen, the, the grace of God always leads to, uh, to, to go goodness and to glory, to freedom. It's not something to be taken lightly. The point of it is that you're a new creature. You're completely garbage free. And... Here's a, a, a little, just a little side note. Some of us are spending way too much time at the dump. Just because that gate opens and closes doesn't mean you need to go out of it and spend a lot of time in the dump. I, when I was growing up in central Wyoming, um, I'm a Wyomingite, and uh, I lived in a very small town, you wouldn't probably recognize uh, by name, and I went, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how to start that. Okay. I was just a little kid at this time. Um, however, my grandma, who was, she was a very respected ranch woman. And she, her name was Blanche. And my grandma Blanche um, had a fan club a little bit. And, um, their names were Bub and Helen Brothwell, and they're, they're gone now. They love Jesus. Um, but they had some little idiosyncrasies. Um, Bub 
was, he, he drove around a little really oxidized mustard, before mustard was cool, mustard-colored Toyota, and he had put a little eye ring, uh, a, a, little, a little ring, was it D-ring? Uh, it doesn't matter, whatever the alphabet it is. And he would, he would clip a chain to this big, huge Irish wolfhound-looking dog, and he would drive around with the dog in the back of that. I mean, you could just touch the top of the truck. It was so little. Anyway, and he'd drive around, and every once in a while, that big old dog would roll out of the back of the truck, and, and he'd just putz around. And uh, it, that dog would kind of get drug a little bit, and then he'd get up and start running with him for a while before he figured out that it had happened, and he'd stop and put the dog back in his truck. This was Bub, okay? Now, another proclivity of Bub and Helen's, especially Bub, was that he loved to go to the dump. He was a picker, and he spent a lot of time at the dump, and I mean, he had lots of treasures. And he knew that my grandma Blanche um, was a writer. She loved to write, and she loved paper. And so I will never forget, he came one time to visit, and I was there, and he brought her a stack probably this thick. It was of the grocery store's ad paper that hadn't been, it had the, had the picture on it, but it hadn't been filled in with any words. And he brought her this big old stack of, of paper. And I remember thinking that was the coolest thing ever uh, because, you know, cardstock paper, hello. Guess what's in my office um, everywhere. But here's the, here's the point. Bub and Helen spent a lot of time at the dump, too much time <laughs> at the dump. And there are some of us that are spending way too much time picking through what's already been thrown away, looking for a treasure. Listen, that is not right. Stop it. Isaiah 43, 25 says, and this is God speaking, he says, I, even I, am the one who wipes your transgressions, your trash, for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. He doesn't remember them. Once they leave your gate, they're gone. Are you remembering them? You picking through, kind of, you know, like, ooh, <laughs> that was, that was, that's still got some use in it. No. Listen, get out of the dump. Now, we're going to move on rapidly here to function number two. We've got the trash, function number one, which aids in the city. The function, the second one was that the gate was used for the removal of ash, ash. And this, of course, was critical for the function of the temple. Um, the temple in you and me is our communion with God. That's the place where you and I are communing with him. It's, it's, it's really important. And in the Old Testament, most of you know, and I'm just going to address it now, that worship of God involved the sacrifice of animals. Now, I need to go and address this as quickly as possible because we can't understand that in our society and culture today. Innocent animals being killed. Why would our God do that? Okay, I'm gonna do a quick, quick study for you, okay? Are you ready? You're so quiet, you're making me nervous. Okay, all right. The history of sacrifices. Where did they come from? Why did they begin? Genesis 3.21, we gotta go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible. And it says this, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. 
So what had happened, of course, is that Adam and Eve were created. They lived in the garden. God told them, you can, do, you can eat of whatever you want except for this one tree. You can't eat the fruit from that tree. It's the tree of good and, good and evil. And uh, yes, and knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can't partake of that. Well, they did it anyway. Now, it doesn't matter how they did it. It matters that they did it uh, for our purposes this morning. And what happened was when they sinned, because that's what they did when they disobeyed, they actually separated themselves from God. Now, I'm going to say something um, that might be a little controversial, but hear me through. Sin is less important because of the infraction. It's more, and it's more important because of the, the, the effect of it. Shame comes on us when we sin. Sin causes shame. And what does shame do between us and God? It separates us. Now, God's a God who loves his people. He's always been making inroads to people relationally. So anything that's going to get in the way of him and you is a big problem. Its name is sin, but, but it's what sin produces, the shame that's terrible. And so God goes walking through the garden. I'm pretty sure he knew exactly what had happened, but he calls to Adam and Eve, and they answer, and he says, where are you? Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. And here they are hiding because they sinned. They were so ashamed, and they, they saw the nakedness of who they were. And so God, in order to maintain relationship with them, he covered them. What did he cover them with? Animal skins. So I would propose that that's the first death that took place in the Garden of Eden was the death of those animals to cover Adam and Eve so that they could relate with God. They wouldn't meet with him, so he covered them. And this set a precedent. The sin and the shame required a covering to meet with God. It's, it, 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 it always has required that from the very beginning, from Genesis 3.21. Blood or life was required in order for that to happen. So sacrifices, and I, I need for you to hear this, sacrifices became the act of life, which is blood, such as the sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament, uh, the sacrifice of animals, the act of life blotting out death, which is sin, through animal sacrifice. It was always meant to be temporary because God had a better plan. But something without blame, without spot or blemish, had to die in our place. There was no human qualified. So animals are the ones that became the sacrifice. Of course, God didn't allow human sacrifice even if there had been. And there was no perfect human until Jesus. When Jesus became the lamb, the perfect spotless unblemished lamb who died for your sake and mine. He abolished the need for animal sacrifice forevermore. His blood, his life covered the death that sin had relegated us to. Does that clear it up a little bit? I think it's important to know this because uh, without this, it's just really difficult to track because Romans 8, 3 through 5 says, um, 
For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. That's that sacrifice. It was never perfect. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us so that we could be completely clean who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. You and I, we get to be free. Now, going back to this whole issue of the temple, in Leviticus, that's where all the rules were set up. If you want to go to a really long, difficult book in your Bible to read, turn to Leviticus. It's worth it, though, because it comes in handy if you're ever allowing the Bible to interpret the Bible. It says in Leviticus 6, it's, it's, this is God speaking to Moses and saying, command Aaron and his sons, who were the priests, this is the law for the burnt offering. The burnt offering itself shall remain on the hearth of the altar all night until morning, and the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. The priest is to put on his linen robe and he shall put on undergarments next to his flesh and he shall take up the ashes. So he has to take out of, he has to get out of his priestly garb in order to handle these ashes that are left over from the sacrifice. And then it says, he will carry those ashes outside of the camp to a clean place. That's through the trash gate, right? The fire on the altar shall keep, be kept burning on it and it shall not go out, but the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it and offer up in smoke the fat portions of the peace offerings on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. The priority here is keep the fire burning. Now, who is the fire? What is the fire for you and I? In the Bible, it is always, the fire is always the presence of God. We are called to keep the fire burning, the presence of God. Now, here's the, here's the thing. When you, if you have a wood stove and you burn the wood, it leaves behind what? Okay, now, if you never clean out that stove, what will happen? It will smother the fire, Right? Eventually, there will be so much ash that oxygen can't keep the thing lit. It's no different in this circumstance. Let me give you an example. Years back, um, it was actually in 2019, there was a museum in, oh, it was about the mid Midwest, closer to the East Coast, and it was a Jewish museum, and they, their curators decided that they needed to go through and digitalize everything that they had in their inventory. And so they hired these specialists to come. One of the things that they found was it was a box that had several items in it, things like pitchers and, and, and trays, really, uh, really um, humble artifacts in it. And, and it also had a, a white... Well, it was kind of like a plastic-like box in it, about the size of a cigar box. And it, it, it was, it, in and of itself, it was in like a plastic sack. And what they discovered, they had it in their records, was that a man, an old man, had given this to them um, years before, and he'd since died. They knew who he was, uh, but they didn't want it to be public. And this was a man who had been 
in World War II, in, um, he'd been in the Lotz ghetto, he was a Jew, and he survived that, then he survived Auschwitz. Unfortunately, his family were all, all of them killed, and I wanna get this name correct, in Kelmo, Poland. Now, Kelmo was the first recognized execution camp in World War II under the Nazi regime. They estimate that at least 152,000 and maybe two and a half times that lost their lives in that concentration camp. And what happened was in the beginning, they would, they would, um, they would murder people and then they would put them in a pit and then they would just do a, a mass grave. But there got to be so many victims that they had to unbury everything and they burnt all of the bodies. And they burn it um, in the open, so of course it didn't burn down very well. I'm, I'm sorry if this is a little graphic for some of, some of us, but I just, I, 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 need, I need for us to take a step there. And what had happened was this man had lost his entire family in Kelmo. And so when the war was over, he went back to that concentration camp he knew where the mass grave was, so he grabbed a shovel and he dug up a portion. And he put it in a box. And this, so this was in the 1940s. And he kept that along with other souvenirs, so to speak, but that, that kind of, that doesn't go far enough. And he carried them with him across the Atlantic Ocean when he moved to the United States and they became a part of his life for many years until before he died, he brought them to the museum and he surrendered them to them. And here's, here's the thing, um, can, you, can you just imagine? There are some of us who like this man, we have things that we have un, un, unlike him. They weren't taken from us, or maybe they were, but we've given them to God. We feel like, you know, we've given this thing to God. And he, all it is left is just ash, but we're hanging on to it. This man hung on to these things for decades until he finally takes them to this, this museum. Of course, the museum had to do all the research. They, they, this man didn't know if they were his family or not. It didn't matter to him. He couldn't let go of the tragedy that had occurred. And so he kept this ash, literally kept this ash with him. And the museum held a public funeral after having um, done the research and counseled with uh, Jewish priests and rabbis and uh, they, this, this collection of ash was buried with honor. And it's the only, at that time, it was the only uh, victim of the concentration camp ever buried on our soil. And, and here, here's the point. The point of it is, is that um, he carried that around and kept that with him. Can you imagine? thinking about that, knowing that this thing that had happened to you was something you were keeping on your shelf because um, it was important to you and you didn't want to forget the pain. And yet, and yet, and yet, Isaiah 61 says of Jesus, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. 
He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland, which means beauty. It means to glorify, to beautify, to adorn, to give them a garland instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Listen, um, some of us have way too many ashes. It's impacting the fire, which is the presence of the Lord in that temple that's within you. It's not function, functioning properly because you're hanging on to the ashes. And God is saying to you today, listen, I want to be everything you've expected me to be. The problem is you're hanging on to ashes. You don't want to forget because you think that the most precious thing that those ashes can do is to memorialize your pain. And I'm saying to you, no. I have better for you. Don't you stick with the pain when I have victory for you. Don't you settle for anything less because I'm the kind of God that takes those things that cost you everything and I make them beautiful. And until I do that, you are suffering and that is not my intention. I, as I was putting this together, I, I was feeling so, some of you know my story and I don't have to talk about it, but listen, I get it. I get it. Maybe the ashes are to a dream that died and you say, I am never going to do that again. I am never going to believe for that again. Maybe you lost someone. And you've said to yourself, listen, God and me will go so far, and then that's it. Because the ashes are overwhelming you. You can't even breathe. It's time to dump those ashes. Maybe for some of you it's relationships, past, present, or future. There is some, some huge, huge huge leftover and is burying you alive. I need for you to know today that Holy Spirit is not okay with this continual suffering. He wants it to end. And it, all it takes is a choice. It's just a, it's a simple saying, listen, okay. I gave this to you and you received it because my heart was good. Like I wanted to give this to you and yet I, I've held on to what remained. You know, if, if you lose somebody in your life, what remains is memories. What remains is pictures. What remains is uh, their name written unexpectedly somewhere where you didn't see it before. And all of a sudden, there's those ashes and you're clutching them and you're saying, oh my God, this is so huge. It is but he's bigger. He's bigger. And he wants to set you free. 
We are running long on time, and I don't want to keep you too long. However, there's this, this funny little aspect called um, <clears throat> choice. And our faith is... Our faith is all about choice. God never called us to be uh, zombies, just the waking dead. He called us to be alive, and part of that comes with the freedom to choose him. And so what I would like you to do, if you have the courage, there are some of you that today you cannot leave here with either the trash or the ash. And it's time to activate the gate that has been designated in your life through Jesus. Because listen, Jesus is the one who paid the price so that you could have the key to access that gate whenever you want. He's the key. He gets all the glory. And today's the day. Can we stand? Worship team can go ahead and, and come up, if you would. Here's what I want to do. I, I, wanna, I, I, want, I want to do this a little bit differently today. Um, because I believe that there are some people who are going to be radically set free today. You know this is God talking to you. I am, as they say, reading your mail. It's not me. It's just that God loves you and he knows you. He knows right where you're at and he cares about it. So I'd like you to come forward and I'd like our, any, if you've ever been, if you're a zillennial, if you're uh, women of valor, if you're elders, um, if you're leadership in our church, if we could just kind of gather, we're gonna pr lay hands on you and pray for you. I don't exactly know what this is going to look like, but it's going to take a couple of brave people coming forward. Who's going to do it? Who says, I, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm not going to keep living this way. I believe God has more for me. Please come forward. I saw, I saw a line of people um, being prayed for this morning and I, I don't care if I look stupid. I, I don't care. I just want you to be free. So please don't miss this opportunity. If you feel like you reach a certain degree of freedom in your walk with Jesus, but then there's something that repetitively comes back again, it's this, you don't even know what it is. I can't tell you what it is either, but I do know that there are some things where we need the body of Christ to gather around us. We need the support of fellow believers who will believe with us and for us, for our breakthrough. And today's your day. Today's your day. Jesus, I saw you. I, I saw you coming. I saw you this morning, even before you ever came here. And 
I, I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much. And the pain that you've been walking with is not the pain that you're supposed to live with and endure forever under. He tells a better story for your life. He tells a better story. So Jesus, and, and you guys, you just lay hands on them and you pray, pray in, your, in, your, in your prayer language. Let's just, let's just tackle this now. Jesus, we invite you to do what only you can do. You are the Savior. It's who you said you were. You said that you came to set the captives free. You said that you, you minister to the brokenhearted. And so, Father, I ask that you would touch these Whatever that might look like, whatever that might feel like at the moment, God, I ask that you would open the gate so that they can finally get rid of this. It's time, it's time, it's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. In Jesus' name, it's time to let it go. And we thank you. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We thank you. You're faithful. And we bless you. We bless you this morning. For those of you who, who didn't come up, hey, that's okay. God, he can do whatever he wants to do and he can arrest you right where you are. So Father, whether that is, whether it's just an excess of things that we have in our lives, or whether it's the remnants of something that we've lost, God, that we've hung on to. I just speak the fire of the presence of God to blow through here, to blow through here once again, to blow through here in this city, in this life once again. God, you are faithful and you are able and we take hold of you today. I ask God for clear words whether that be through pictures in the brain, through dreams, through actual just thoughts or words themselves, through the prophetic word of others around God, I ask for strategies on how to walk this out because you are not, you are not the kind of God that plays tricks on us. You know exactly what we need, need and you speak to us in our language. You do what only you can do. Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. You can continue to pray and minister as we worship this morning. If there's anybody else and you're holding back, come and get this. Come and get this, okay? Okay.